All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Monday, and I'll tell you, there's there's nothing more enjoyable for me. Championship Monday, Brian Shapiro. Championship Monday. There's nothing more enjoyable to me than to say that the Las Vegas Aces are WNBA champions. Raise the stakes. Raise yeah, the stakes. That's right. And I know it, it sounds good to the, to the lovely lady we have with us on the line right now. She has done a phenomenal job in helping to ensemble this team. There's a lot of accolades to go around. The players, the coaching staff, uh, management. Uh, it's just such a great organization. And now we have this parade that's going to be tomorrow on the strip. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the lady joining us on the line right now, not only the general manager of the Las Vegas Aces, a former gold medalist herself, she knows what it's like to win championships. Of course, I'm talking about Natalie Williams. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. How does that sound to you today, the Las Vegas Aces WNBA champions? Oh my gosh, it is so incredible. Um, this is exactly what we envisioned when we, you know, back in April, when we knew everyone was coming in and looking forward to the new coaching regime of Becky Hammond and her staff. And um, here we are. So, you know, you, you create it and dreams come true. Let's talk about the game and then we'll talk about the celebration afterwards. And by the way, you guys are back in Vegas now, right? Yes, we got in about 2 a.m. Good. Get the heck out of Connecticut. I'm sorry. I grew up there. I'm not, I'm not a big fan. Uh, someone's, got a, someone's got a personal opinion regarding uh, maybe, his home state. Maybe I do. It's very beautiful. It's just not for me. But anyway, uh, Natalie, let's talk a little bit about the game itself. I mean, to me, uh, you know, there's a lot of stars in this game and so many players that hit big shots. But let's talk about a player that came off the bench that, that we should be talking about first, uh, Raquana Williams. I mean, she went on that run literally by herself late in the fourth quarter and hit big shot after big contested shot. What did you make of her performance down the stretch? Well, earlier on in the season, we all had a bet on who we would bet to make, uh, you know, had to make a three-point shot who would make it. And uh, she's the one that won. I mean, Nikki Fargus was willing to put up a million dollars that she would be the one to, you know, secure a three-point shot. And we just call her Bay Bucket, you know. So that's her nickname. She has no fear. She's a great veteran. And uh, we're super lucky to have her um, on our team and coming off the bench. But, yeah, I mean, huge shots down the stretch. It, it was just incredible, and I, you know the shot that is the the last shot me, uh, she made. They were all phenomenal, but it was like a step back long two that put you guys up by four. And to me, that was the dagger to them, right? Because you got an under a minute to go. There's still a lot of time left, but to me, that was the one shot that that really gave you guys a huge edge there uh, with about a minute to go. Yeah, I mean it was a very important possession. Uh, we definitely needed to get a score in that possession to go up four. Um, and, you know, not only her, but everybody else and the belief in each other and their ability to, you know, believe in themselves and knock down shots. I mean, mm-hmm. she's just an incredible veteran. Physical game, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, both teams didn't shoot the ball particularly extremely well. But then I'm looking at the scoreboard and I'm looking at the fact that Connecticut only had three field goals and we're almost, uh, you know, done with the first quarter. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to the Aces and how physical they were in this game. And Becky Hammond talked about it after game three about how they just got pushed around and, and they lost the physical battles. I thought it was the opposite yesterday. I think it was the Aces that were winning those physical battles. And it seemed like for Connecticut, man, they just, Every shot to them, uh, at least to me watching the game, was a struggle. I think that's a testament to your defense yesterday. Yeah, thank you. I mean, they did a great job um, in game four. You know, game three, they were very upset with their effort, not only on the defensive end, but also rebounding and um, all around. And so there was just a different mindset coming into game four. We switched up 
Uh, Kia Stokes was now guarding John Quill Jones, and Asia was guarding guarding uh, Alyssa Thomas, which was a great switch up. Um, yeah. You know, Kia could just focus on what she does well, which is defense, and really uh, limited John Quill Jones to have some good shots. I mean, she we did a great job on the former MVP, and then uh, Asia I thought did a great job on Alyssa Thomas. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, she really did. And uh, let's not uh, forget mentioning Chelsea Gray, who is the finals MVP. Yeah. I mean, she is just she is just a baller. I, I don't even know how to explain. I mean, one-on-one, she's, it seems to me Chelsea's uh, – I wouldn't want to guard her. She's impossible to guard. And she just makes big – she was the most consistent offensive player with the Aces really all year, right, uh, Natalie? I mean, she was just phenomenal. And then she wins the MVP in the finals. Uh, to me, it's just so fitting. Yeah, I mean, you know, she has such an incredible mindset about her and just she knew that she should have been all-star. And we love that, you know, honestly, looking back, I'm glad she didn't make it because it just set a fire within her. So she becomes Commissioner Cup game MVP. She's now the finals MVP. And after the all-star break, I mean, you couldn't guard her with one person. I right. mean, it was posterizing everyone <laughs> yeah, <you're right. laughs> on, that, on that famous uh, fadeaway shot. I mean, right. probably about 20 people. <laughs> you know, you're right about that. How fitting also, and I've, I've talked about this with you, Natalie. I've talked about this on the show a lot. Uh, last year where Asia Wilson, you know, took that loss so tough. I know you weren't here yet, Natalie, but her father had to help her off the court in, in that final game last year. And, you know, I just knew she would come back strong. And what a great year Asia Wilson has had. How fitting that she grabs the final rebound and she has the basketball. I, I get kind of choked up thinking about this. You know, she has the basketball in her hands uh, as the final buzzer sounds, and you see how much this win. Obviously, it meant so much for everybody on this team, but you see in her eyes how much this win meant for her after you know last year, and it was just so cool to see there, see her there with her family, having such a good time. I just, I'm such a big Asia Wilson fan, and I was so happy for her personally. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I even though I wasn't part of the organization, I did see that last game last year, and uh, you know, I was an Aces fan prior to me getting this job, and yeah, to see that and to see her, you know, being a completely heartbroken on the court, that was hard to watch. And so I knew, and then just hearing coming in, I knew that her drive and her, um, you know, level of how she comes to the game every day was different this year. Um, and not only just in, you know, her preparation, her conditioning, her body in the offseason, um, her mindset, her leadership, I mean, everything was raised up. She knew there had to be something different in order for them to win. And I mean, yeah, I mean, incredible ending for her. And honestly, with this group and what we got coming back, I feel like it's just the beginning. Have to get your thoughts and perspective. Of course, you are new to the organization here in 2022 for this organization, but also Becky Hammond, brand new addition to this organization. Obviously, she's someone who is storied as a player, who had a a tremendous career in the WNBA, as well as at Colorado State. Obviously, she moves on to uh, one of the more storied franchises in the NBA, gets a chance to work with the San Antonio Spurs and with Greg Popovich, an all-time great coach, and now she makes the transition back to the WNBA as a head coach. Your thoughts on her? being able to capture a WNBA championship as a head coach in her first season in the WNBA. Yeah, I mean, 100% deserved. I mean, she's got an incredible staff with her who has worked so hard all year. I mean, I'm alongside them you know, every day. I travel with them when we go on the road. And um, just to see how hard they work, just not even with the players, but, um, you know, when they're off watching film and preparing for the next game and 
Um, she's just an incredible coach. She has a, a, a great way with the players. Um, they completely love her and trust in her just in you know a few months, which is great to see. Um, and I know Becky had that same rapport with the, her players on the Spurs. And, um, you know, so we are so, so lucky to have her. And I hope we, you know, keep her until she's ready to retire coaching can, can because I ask she's you, amazing for us. Natalie, I know this isn't something that should be on your mind today. You guys should be celebrating, and I'm sure you will. But as the general manager of the Aces, I have to ask you this. Is that in the back of your mind that you're worried that somebody else is going to snag her up? I mean, it, the NBA could be calling whoever. I mean, she's such a phenomenal coach. Is that in your mind at all? Are you worried at all that, that she might not be the head coach of this team next year? No, I'm not worried about it at all. Um, I've had some great talks with her. She loves where she's at. Um, you know, the NBA had their opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she is now where she wants to be. Uh, she's raising a family. I think the WNBA schedule is better for, for her family life and um, allows her to do what she loves and be around the players she loves and um, uplift this league and, you know, just increase the look of the WNBA. And um, so I think she's exactly where she wants to be. Yeah, and of course we hope that she stays. She's just such a phenomenal coach. All right, Natalie, let's talk a little bit about this parade tomorrow. Uh, give some people uh, a little bit of background on what time they need to be there. What are we going to be looking at? Where does it start? Where does it end? Uh, what can you tell us about this? Uh, what is going to be certainly a lot of fun in this uh, Aces uh, Championship Parade tomorrow? Yeah, well, it's going to be amazing. I mean, anything unlike Vegas has ever had because I don't think the Strip has ever been shut down before uh this is going to be a lot of fun it's starting at caesar's palace there will definitely be information put out about it uh through all sources of media but um all the players are going to be there the coaches there's going to be vips i mean we've got you know the fire and police and all these um young youth and unlv will be there i mean it's just going to be a party that's what it's all about so yeah. We're trying to do it all right and, and make it as fun as possible. So hope for it, everybody comes out. The weather should be great tomorrow. So come on out. starts at 530. Have to get your viewpoint on that because, look, we understand that there was a national championship here with UNLV back in the 90s. But this is the first major pro sports championship here in Las Vegas. Your thoughts on what you think that means for this community? And, you know, look, this is it, it, it's, only, it's obviously the, the first championship also for the Las Vegas Aces as a franchise, but what do you think this means to the community, and what do you think uh, this is going to be uh, remembered as, I guess, as a way to put it, uh, moving forward throughout uh, the existence of the Aces here in Vegas? Well, I mean, this team is going to go down in history as one of the greatest teams of all time just because of all the accomplishments this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've set records with, you know, coach of the year in her first year, MVP, defensive player of the year, Jackie won most improved, Kelsey Plum won all-star MVP. I mean, and then to win the WNBA championship uh, is just a historic season. And I think everybody who witnessed it is going to remember it forever. And um, the city of Las Vegas, I'm sure, <laughs> is extremely proud, and uh, it's it's an honor to hold that title in your city. Um, and so everybody is going to remember that for a long time. Natalie, what's the first thing that Mark Davis said to you after the final buzzer sounded? <laughs> he just got so excited, and he said, "We are WNBA, and in his words, world champions." Oh, I love that. That that is so cool for for somebody that has never been in a locker room after 
a championship win and the celebration. Can you explain to me what that was like? I mean, we've seen some images of it. They looked like the ladies were having a great time. What was that like being in the locker room and being able to celebrate a championship with them when you got champagne all over the place and they're wearing, what would you call those, the champagne goggles? I think they were, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. also have yeah. you also have our uh, colleague here at KSHB. You got T.C. Martin unloading some dance moves in live in the locker room. Uh, added to it as well too. That uh, that was that was quite the celebration, Natalie. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just say it was very wet in there. Exactly. I mean, it was. <laughs> it got plastic all over the floors, but yeah, a lot of champagne. The girls were having fun. They were all soaking wet. And, um, yeah, it was great that we were able to do that in Connecticut. Of course, allowed us to do that in that in one of those locker rooms, but. Uh, yeah. It was just a great experience and something that not everybody gets to do. What is so the, it was a lot of fun. What is the red eye like coming back here to Vegas? Like, are, is, is, are, I would imagine some of you are sleeping, but, uh, I mean, are, are, are people so just high on, I guess, just energy level and, and just adrenaline that it's hard to go to sleep? Yeah, I mean, shout out to the charter flight that we took because those flight attendants were absolutely amazing. A lot of partying on the playing a lot of music the boom box was going around i mean it was a charter so it was yeah the the food was incredible and everybody was having a lot of fun so it was a great environment it was a, a chance for everybody to communicate with each other and enjoy each other's company and do some more TikToks with all those aces and <laughs> i'm sure there'll be some things coming out where you see some content from the, the airplane ride home well, hopefully we can get some of you guys in studio later on in the week. I, I, you guys got to get your rest today. And, uh, you know, Natalie, uh, from the bottom of my heart, congratulations. Couldn't have happened to a better organization. You guys are so awesome, from the players to the coaches, people like you, Mark Davis. I mean, the entire organization, top to bottom, you guys are just wonderful people and just a pleasure to cover. And I couldn't be happier, and the city is so proud of you guys. And uh, congratulations, and uh, we'll see you at the parade tomorrow, and hopefully we can catch up with some players later on in the week. But, uh, again, congratulations. Congratulations on a job well done. You all deserve it. Thank you for coming on. Great stuff, Natalie. Thank you so much. Thanks for following us and supporting us all season. Thanks, Natalie. Appreciate you. Uh, that's Natalie Williams, the general manager of the Las Vegas Aces. Couldn't have happened to a better organization. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. These are, these are great people. You know, from the communication staff to the coaching staff to the players. I love Mark Davis. And let's be honest here. Let's be clear. Uh, I, I think, could they have won the championship without Mark Davis? Sure. But I think when Mark Davis uh, bought this team, in a way it was the changing of the guards. Listen, let's give credit to Bill Lane Beer, to Bill Lane Beer too. Uh, Becky Hammond uh, showed a lot of class, and she thanked Bill Lane Beer. Bill Lane Beer did a very good job with this team. He, uh, but the one cr- big criticism I have of Bill Lane Beer, and I didn't want to talk about this with Natalie, didn't want to say anything negative with her, uh, but... Bill Lambeer signed Liz Cambage. Bill Lambeer was responsible for that, and that was a big mistake. Liz really hurt this team last year. She really did, particularly in the playoffs. But it was a swing for the fences move. It was a, that, that was regardless, the mentality. Regardless, well, it, out, yeah. it was the wrong move. Right, well. That's what I'm trying yeah. to point out. When they got rid of Liz Cambage, obviously signing Becky Hammond was an unbelievably great coach. Probably the best coach you could have hired in the world for that spot, right? Getting rid of Liz Cambage was huge. First of all, it gives Asia Wilson more room to operate. She needs room. She's that you know she wants spacing. Number one. Number two. As much as I wasn't a big fan of Stokes, and I'm still not, Stokes understood her role. She's not a scorer, and even though she missed some bunnies in the playoffs, 
She's someone who's going to grab rebounds. She's a big body, and she did her job. And obviously, Hamby was never 100%. She was coming off of the injury, but just having her in there uh, in this series was huge because she's a big body. She didn't play a lot yesterday, but a big body. Liz Cambage was a cancer to the team. In my opinion, she is a cancer to the league, and I hope she never comes back to the WNBA and she could have fun with her taking pictures and her naked uh, whatever internet career or whatever she's doing. But she's bad for basketball. She's bad for the WNBA. And Bill Lambeer, as he's a very good coach. He did a phenomenal job. I give him like an A-. minus. He did a really good job. I give Becky Hammond an A+. Plus. I give Bill Lambeer an A-. minus. Because the Liz Cambage stuff, and you know, at one point during the year last year, Bill Lambeer said, Liz Cambage is the most dominant player in the league. I'm like, are you on crack? How many layups did she miss in, in the playoffs, by the way, particularly in Game 5 last year? So that was my one criticism of Bill, but it was nice to see him uh, in Connecticut congratulating the team. And it was also nice for Becky Hammond to call out Bill Lambeer and thank him for what he'd done. Because, listen, Bill Lambeer deserves a lot of credit. Uh, he put together most of this team. Yeah. Yes, they made a couple additions, and they got rid of a few players. Turns out the draft picks that they got rid of, that was the right decision. They've done everything perfect this year, from the coaching staff to player personnel. They've been perfect. They have the, uh, just un- incredible talent, um, so they deserve it from a, from a managerial standpoint. The parade tomorrow, yes, we had UNLV. By the way, I don't mind when people say it's not technically the first professional championship. We're not trying to compare. Yes, these are minor league teams and soccer teams and that have won championships here. It's okay to bring that up. Yes, this is the first major professional franchise. When I say major professional, I'm talking NHL, NBA, NFL, WNBA. Yes, that's a ma- or, or Major League Baseball. That is a major championship. Yes, this falls under that category. The WNBA is a major mm-hmm. championship. So if you want to say they're the first major uh, sports champion in Las Vegas, I don't have a problem with that. But yes, there have been champions that have won championships with other teams in the past uh, that have been professional, per se, but not a major. Uh, and of course, I think back to the parade, which was the... I wasn't here. I was too young. I wasn't in Vegas. Right. Neither were you, Chris. Yeah. But of course, UNLV basketball. Now, I don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow. I don't know how many people are going to show up. I think it's a good idea to have it later in the evening so people are off work. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and the ladies deserve it. The city deserves it. And I hope a lot of people show up, and I hope a lot of people support the team because, quite frankly, the team deserves it. These have been the best crowds in in the WNBA all year, hands down, all year. It's not even close. We have great fans here that have supported this team. We have great fans that support every team, quite frankly. But UNLV football and UNLV basketball have not been very good. If the product is not very good, the fans are not going to come out. The product this year and last year and the year before, since they've been here, has been very, very good. The Aces are a good product. It's fun to watch. And uh, I mean everything I've said about this organization, and I'm very happy for them. And it's great for the city. And, Brian, you gave credit where credit is due regarding the front office, right, and the coaching staff. But, look, the reason they won this championship yesterday was the players. The players were outstanding. Asia Wilson has been doing what Asian Wilson, Asia Wilson does. She's the ambassador. She is the leader of this team and the reigning two-time MVP now in the league. But they also had elevated play from other players on this team, the Kelsey Plums, the Chelsea Grays, the Jackie Youngs, right? They, those were the big reasons why yep. they won this WNBA championship. You had some key uh, reserves come off the bench as you pointed out in Raquana Williams and some others that may had some big moments also so I would you know yes you want to give credit to the coaching staff and you want to give credit to past coaching staffs and you want to give credit to the front office but the players 
on that court yesterday were the reason this team has been successful all year long. And so that's where I put a lot of the, the credence as far as winning this WNBA championship. But no question, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how Vegas responds. I want the city to come out and support this team from uh, you know as far as the parade goes. And you know that pop, look, I get it. It's pomp and circumstance after winning a championship, and it's kind of after the fact. But the the fact still remains is that uh, this city has embraced the Las Vegas Aces, yeah. much like they've embraced all of the franchises here from the Golden Knights to the Raiders and across the board. And so I'm hopeful that Las Vegas goes out and supports this team tomorrow yeah. during this parade. Sure, absolutely. They definitely deserve it. A little strange that, uh, what is it, starts at Caesars and then it goes to Bellagio. It's not very far. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's going to be, basically it's going to be a lot of speeches, right, Brian? And a lot of other stuff going on because right. it's not exactly like a long travel route no. going from no. Caesars Palace to the Bellagio right there. It's not a very long you're, parade. You're going you're gonna to be rolling in front of uh, basically the flamingo, right? And uh, and margarita. Maybe it's gas prices. Maybe Joe Biden gas. Hey, 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 Mark. uh, Excuse me, uh, Brian. uh, A little quick note, too, about yesterday. I think Mark Davis made the right choice as far as uh, which game to go to, right? He ends up going to uh, Connecticut to see his WNBA team win a championship as opposed to going to see the Raiders lose in embarrassing fashion. I was watching the Raiders. I was watching, obviously, the Raiders. I was at the Raiders game, of course, but then I'm watching the game on my laptop, uh, and uh, so it was kind of cool to watch both. Uh, I got to be honest with you, man. I got a little choked up there. I, I really did. I got a little choked up. Emotional. Come on. Shab- you, Shap, you're, 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 come on. Now you're Brian Shapiro. You're, Here's why. You're, Here's you're, why. Here's why. You're as cold as ice. No, that's, as, as, that's not as, true. As uh, Dave true. Chappelle would say. That's not true. Regarding. Uh, Chris, here's why. Here's why. I'll tell Rick you Rick James. Why. So I'm a big fan of Asia Wilson. I, I really am. I think she's an awesome person. Uh, I've had yeah. a chance to meet, to meet her family and talk to her, her parents. Her father, great guy. She's been a pleasure to cover. She she's, has. She's, yeah. she's got wonderful parents. She's got a nice family. She's very respectful. Uh, she's a good teammate. She, she loves the fans. You could see her signing autographs and taking pictures. And last year when I saw that, when I, and, and I keep bringing this up because I think it's important, and hopefully we'll be able to get Asia Wilson in studio, and I want to ask mm-hmm. her about this because I never have. Um, last year, again, I go back to it when she was so emotional. And, and that press conference last year when they lost was very uncomfortable. And uh, her father had to help her off the court. And it was hard to watch. Cause you, but at the same time, you appreci- I appreciated it. I appreciated how badly she wanted to win and how much it stung. You want to see that from your players, right? And you see uh, what she's done, and Natalie alluded to this, working on her body. We both need to work on our body, too, but that's another story for another show. Yeah. But no, from a basketball standpoint, right. the hard work she put in. right? Some players would be like, oh, you know what? I got my contract could be a Liz Cambage, right? She's the opposite of Liz Cambage. First of all, she's 20 times the player that Liz Cambage is, talent-wise, ability, uh, her mid-range game, her ability. to. And let's keep in mind, not a lot of people are talking about this today, but I told you guys, remember Game 3 of the WNBA Western Conference Finals when they were on the road against Seattle, and they were literally a couple seconds away from going down two games to one. And, you yeah. know, the usual suspects. Asia Wilson ties the game. Sue Bird hits that shot. Jackie Young with, with an incredibly well-drawn-out play and execution. You know, I'm not sure they win that series if they go down two games to one. I'm not sure. Maybe they do, but I'm not sure. It would have been much more difficult, let's yeah, put it that way, maybe, to win it. But I go. But there are certain moments in a year, where you, defining moments, right? And certainly that was a defining moment. You know, they score with 10 seconds to go. 
with uh, Asia Wilson, and then they're down two with two seconds to go. I don't care who's on your team or what the circumstances are. It's very difficult to score with two seconds on the clock, and Jackie Young, incredibly drawn up play. And I think of that series and that series of events, to me that, to me that explains what this entire team is. They're very resilient. They're very confident. They're extremely well-coached, and they have multiple players that can come up big. You know, draw up a play for Asia Wilson. Great play. Give her spacing. Let her do her thing. MVP. She gets it done. Sue Bird hits a big shot. Draw up a play. There were two or three different options on that play, but Jackie Young was one of them, cutting to the basket. Great execution. You still got to make the shot. You got to execute. To me, that's what this team is. They've got studs on this team, unbelievable players, great athletes, and they've got uh, what, in my opinion, is the best female basketball coach in the world and probably one of the best basketball coaches around right now, in my opinion. She is a great coach. She won the WNBA championship in her first year with players that she has, for the most part, never coached before. Any coach will tell you that is very difficult, number one, to develop relationships with players that you don't know personally right away. It seemed like the players just were drawn to her. The respect was there. The camaraderie was there. The chemistry was there. That is Becky Hammond. She just knows how to deal with people. Uh, and, and as far as from an X's and O's perspective and a manager of the game, she does both. Not many coaches in this league can do both, whether it be the WNBA, the NBA, or college basketball. I don't care. Some coaches are good managers, like even a Phil Jackson, right? Uh, Obviously, an unbelievable, the Zen master, at dealing with managing egos and managing a team. He had other guys like Tex Winter and other guys that were X's and O's guys. It seems to me that Becky is very good on both ends where she is a good X's and O's, bas- almost like a basketball geek. I say that in a positive way. Uh, she just knows basketball inside and out. She's a great X's and O's coach. But she also knows how to develop relationships with players. She did it in the NBA. I haven't heard one player that ever played for her say anything negative about her. And she's done it with this team. So I understand Natalie Williams said she's not really concerned about her leaving, and I hope that doesn't happen. But it would not be surprised in the next year, in the next two years, whatever the case may be, the NBA come knocking. I think it could happen. I don't think she's going to coach college. I think she, uh, I mean, if Gino Ariyama ever ever retired, <laughs> if Gino ever retired, I would think UConn would want to go after her. Uh, to coach uh, that program. Nobody would be better than Becky Hammond. That would be the number one option. So I could see that maybe being an option. Don't think she's going to be a college basketball men's coach. I could see her taking over the UConn program. What a hire that would be for UConn, because Gino's eventually going to retire. He's, he's alluded to that. He's getting old. Most storied female you know, college basketball program in history. I mean, Tennessee's close, but UConn is, is, is there. And then I think of the NBA, and I think when Greg Popovich retires, and I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be next year or in three years or four years. But I could absolutely sing Popovich say you got to you know helping in that hire and 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 obviously that franchise loves Becky. So I don't want to you know I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but Becky Hammond uh, eventually is going to go somewhere else. Don't know when that's going to happen. It will happen eventually. We hope it doesn't happen anytime soon. But she is um, the best basketball coach that we've seen in Las Vegas, in my opinion, since Jerry Tarkanian, and. Um, I believe that uh, she's going to win. If she sticks around here for a few years, she's going to win some more championships. She's too good of a basketball coach, and these players don't want to go anywhere. So anyway, uh, Chris. I'd be, wow, best basketball coach in Vegas since yes. 
Jerry Tarkanian. There'd be some probably there might be some UNLV fans who? out there that would who? disagree with you who? regarding Lon, Lon Kruger. As, Lon Kruger is the head coach for the UNLV Run Rebels. But that, but but I digress. Um, and by, by by the way, it's it's Becky Hammond, not Hammond. She's just not related Becky to Tom Hammond. 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 That's with, what I with said. Just an N. Oh, I said Becky did you, Hammond. Did you throw a D okay. on it? Did you throw right. a D on the end? You I didn't? think you can. I'm uh, hearing something different. I yeah. I must have I must have Q-tips in my ears. Well, I, I was as, hearing Hammond. Well, Asia Wilson. But either way, but either way, she's absolutely Brian going to have options. There's no doubt about that, right? Becky Hammond. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not it's it's in the NBA, that remains to be seen. I mean, it's a different animal when you're talking about the NBA. There's reasons why she hasn't been hired yet. They're not reasons that have anything to do with her coaching ability. That's for sure. She's absolutely an outstanding coach. But the, but as far as the NBA is concerned, we'll see exactly mm-hmm. if that ends up being a reality. Uh, there was already she already had an opportunity uh, as far as being interviewed by the Portland Trailblazers last year before Chauncey Billups got that job. And there's been some other spots in the NBA, uh, specifically my Detroit Pistons, that took a look at Becky Hammond as a head coach as well, too. So there's no question that she's going to have options across yep. the board. And, yes, you brought up, obviously, some storied college basketball destinations being at, U- at UConn in stores and, and possibly in Knoxville in Tennessee as well, too. Yep. But there's, uh, there's no question that, as of right now, and Natalie pointed that out during the yep. interview, uh, right now she is the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces, and it seems like she's happy, and it looks like this, you know, for, at least for the short term, is going to be her spot when it comes to her coaching destination. So you mentioned Lon Kruger. Anybody that knows me personally knows how much I respect Lon I'm just Kruger. Th- Brian, Hold on, I'm let me finish. Throw it out there. You, let you, me finish. You're, you're getting just, like, so defensive about it. I'm just throwing out Lon I'm, Kruger. You're talking about, you, you, you said, mentioned Becky Hammond. You said, oh yeah, she's the best Chris, let me basketball finish. coach Chris, in Vegas Chris, since, Chris, Chris. since Jerry Tarkanian. I'm not getting defensive. I'm responding yes. to what you just said. I'm doing a well, show. You just, well, wait wait so, a minute. I say, you, first of all, Nunchuck, he didn't even let me get out Lon Kruger's name before he started disagreeing with what I was saying, right? You didn't. You did not even let me get his name out before you started huffing and puffing on the air, and it was you know trying to point out. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And then you started bringing up other coaches. So did, I'm just saying that's what I'm talking about when I mean defensive. When okay. you're being defensive, so I didn't do yes. that. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. You mentioned Lon Kruger, and I didn't say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" What do you mean? Uh, no, just, before just, I mentioned his name, okay, so you just, were already I'm huffing just, and puffing. I'm just responding to, to what you said about Lon Kruger. If you could just allow me to finish, uh, that'd be awesome. Um, so anybody who knows me knows that uh, I love Lon Kruger and I respect the hell out of him uh, as a Hall of Fame um, college basketball coach. But here's what I will say about Becky Hammond. Uh, that maybe Lon Kruger was unable to do. Uh, even though Becky Hammond has never been a head coach in the NBA, uh, she's su- certainly a very successful, uh, had a very successful assistant coaching tenure uh, under Greg Popovich. And also, I believe what she did in the NBA Summer League is certainly an accomplishment. One thing I'll say about Lon Kruger is as great of a college coach he, he, he was, and I love Lon to death, uh, not a good NBA coach. It was a disaster uh, uh, as an NBA head coach. Um, Lon Kruger's a Hall of Fame coach. No question about that. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Becky winning in the WNBA and winning in the NBA. Um, and I believe she will be a head coach in the NBA one day. But Lon's a fan, phenomenal coach. Uh, there's no nothing to take that away from him. And I'm a, I'm a fan of Kevin's, and, and I think Kevin's going to get it done um, at the college level here at UNLV. I like Kevin. I love the Krugers. Lon's a phenomenal, phenomenal basketball coach. There's no question about that. But guess what? So is Becky Hammond. And, and congratulations to the Las Vegas Aces. Congratulations to everybody around the organization. This is a lot of fun. And I would imagine, Chris, tomorrow uh, the parade's going to be a lot of fun as well. And uh, I hope everybody comes out and supports it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, why is Ron DeSantis getting standing ovations in front of Republicans this time? Well, guess what? It has something to do with Martha's Vineyard. 
Yeah, we'll talk about that coming up next. He's Chris Wynn. I'm Brian Shapiro. You're listening to Pushing Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super. Hero, that is. Because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. I want to tell you guys about one of my favorite doctors in the Valley, Dr. K. She's a board-certified internal medicine physician. She's been in practice for over 20 years, went to Yale. She believes in treating body and mind as a whole by achieving harmony and balance. She offers hormone replacement, Botox, skin rejuvenation, even snoring treatment, because we know how that can be annoying from time to time. Also, plasma treatments and so much more with cutting-edge technology. Please give her a call. 702-410-5779. You could also give her an email at cosmeticaesthetics.lv at gmail.com. Again, that number, 702-410-5779. Call Dr. K. Tell them I sent you, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client, so please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. 
Our sandwiches are super. Hero, that is. Because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Monday. We're going to be at Sapphire tonight, hosting Monday Night Football. 25 bucks gets you a free buffet, open bar until halftime of the first game. Check us out. We will be there, even though Chris Wynn has not yet committed, even though his roommates have. So I, I, I don't know. I'm non-committal at this point yeah, yet. I'm said that I've not definitively decided yet yeah. what the deal is going to be. You'll be losing money. It's going to be quite the atmosphere over there, though, Brian. Yeah. Quite the atmosphere. Yes. Uh, it was a repeat of last week. Yes. I want to tell you guys about my friend Sahara West Urgent Primary Care, located at 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Uh, I'm on the testosterone therapy there, and I tell you, man, I'm like an 18-year-old. I'm 18 again. It is incredible. By the way, you don't even need... Insurance. If you don't have insurance, $95 copay. And if you do have insurance, they take most insurances. They're 702-248-0554. They took care of me. I promise you they'll take care of you. Sahara West Urgent Care.com. So, an announcement to make. I have just confirmed that Robert Tellis, the man who's accused of murdering Jeff Harbour, uh, Robert Tellis's ex-wife has confirmed that she will be on the show tomorrow. Um... To my knowledge, she hasn't done any interviews. She was married to him. She has a child with him. Her name is Tanya, and she'll be joining us on the show tomorrow. Um, trying to work out an interview with Robert Tellis later this week, even though I'm sure he's not going to answer any questions, which he didn't with the media last week in regards to the case. But if anybody knows me and knows me well, I, I do press buttons from time to time. Um, now, a murderer's button, I don't know if that's a button I want to press, but uh, when you're behind the glass and you're going to be in jail for the rest of your life, I think I'm safe. But anyway, uh, tomorrow again, Robert Tellis's ex-wife, Tanya Burton is her name. She'll be joining us on the show tomorrow, so look forward to that. So, Chris, you might have heard Ron DeSantis shipping, and I use the term ship because it's so inhumane what these Republican governors are doing with these immigrants that are undocumented. He shipped out 50 undocumented immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. What happens? The people at Martha's Vineyard come together. They provide them food, water, shelter, and then they bring them to – they fly them to another place in, in Massachusetts that would be able to house them on a more permanent basis because that's what decent people did. The people at Martha's Vineyard, they took care of these people, and I praise them for doing Absolutely. so. Absolutely. Yep. So Ron DeSantis was speaking in Kansas on Sunday, and he gave every indication he intends to capitalize on the latest wave of attention that has followed from him sending these migrants to Massachusetts. He says this is a crisis. It's now getting a little bit more attention. Uh, he got a standing ovation from all these Republicans there. Let me repeat that. Ron DeSantis got a standing ovation for taking human beings, because that's what they are, documented or undocumented. They're human beings, some children, some families, putting them in a plane and sending them to Martha's Vineyard and make no mistake about it, not because he cares about these people, because clearly he doesn't. The only reason why he did it, Chris, and I think you know this, is for a political stunt that, by the way, cost Florida taxpayers $14 million. $14 $14 million for this stunt. Now, while all this was going on, Chris, and Ron DeSantis is getting his standing ovation, this piece of human garbage, there were rallies over the weekend by former President Donald Trump and Republican gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano of Pennsylvania, who is a complete buffoon. And there's video of this, Chris, where in, supporters were instructed to salute 
salute in a manner that was not seen since the Hail Hitler salute used by Nazis. There's video of this. They were told to salute. Welcome to MAGA country, where Ron DeSantis is praised and giving a standing ovation for shipping undocumented workers to Martha's Vineyard, treating them like they were a package or maybe a sex, obje- a, a, a sex toy that his wife would order, for example. Uh, but in that aspect, he's treating these undocumented immigrants as objects, not human beings. Same thing with Governor Abbott. And then in Kansas, a salute similar to what was taking place in Nazi Germany, the Hail Hitler sign. Welcome to the alt-right today. Because a lot of people on the right support Ron DeSantis, and a lot of people on the right still support Donald Trump. A lot of times when I talk about the former president of the United States, Brian, I sound like a broken record and that I'm just, you know, basically beating a dead horse. And I ask you questions, rhetorical questions, right, regarding him. Why is the former president of the United States, who just lost to an almost 80-year-old retread of a politician in our president, Joe Biden, holding rallies five seconds after he lost and continuing to hold rallies two years into narcissist. President Biden's He's a narcissist. Presidency. That's why. It, it, it's absolutely, completely ridiculous to me. Yeah. So let's start there. With respect to Ron DeSantis and this cheap political stunt that he pulled that was purely for political reasons, mm-hmm. uh, it's just one more indication of what this guy's character is all about. You could talk about what the guy has as far as uh, you know political instincts and you know the way that he approaches things from a po- political standpoint. I, I, and look, I get it. You Republicans out there and you people on the right are going to praise him and you're going to back Ron DeSantis no matter what because you're Republicans. I get it. But there's, there's, there's so much false equivalency going on, Brian, when stuff like this happens, right? Ron DeSantis ships off people, by the way, lies to them, right, before he puts them on a plane to Martha's Vineyard. And it doesn't tell exactly what the situation is. Tell them, tells them that they're, they're going to Boston, when in fact they're not going to Boston. He's sending them to Martha's Vineyard. But set that aside, it's, it's, just, it's just a horrendous thing to do from a human standpoint, using human beings, using people's lives as if, if, for political reasons, for a political stunt. Mm-hmm. And you've got these, these idiots on the right that are coming out and saying, well, Joe Biden does the same thing. Democrats have done the same thing. No, they don't. No, they don't. They, there's not been an instance, instance, okay? And, and, and you can find it for me, and you can anybody that's listening to the show right now or watching this can come at me and give me an example of when Joe Biden or a Democrat has shipped off undocumented immigrants from a state to another state or another city for political reasons. Then, then, I'll, then you know what? I'll say I'll put my foot in my mouth. And I and I'll own it, and I will say it. That hasn't been the case, though. That hasn't been the case. So therefore, there's. I mean, it's just so bad. And having discussions with these people, and look, you had a woman on last week whose name I don't even want to remember because it was such. She was such a horrendous guest, and she couldn't back up anything that she was talking about, essentially, with respect to COVID nineteen or Steve Sisolak when it came to the COVID nineteen virus or anything that she that she was backing from a political standpoint. She had no answer for you whatsoever, except to just basically try to call you ignorant and 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 try to to you know uh, basically refute a lot of the things that you were saying that were right. But 
there's just there's people out there that support Ron DeSantis unconditionally, right? The same way that people supported the former president unconditionally. And it's because of what Republicans are able to do even with the, these people are in power. So Donald Trump, look, never was a Republican. He never has been a Republican. It was just about the, the whole reason Republicans support him. The only reason evangelicals support Donald Trump is because of what Republicans are able to do in office. The Mitch McConnells, the Rand Pauls, you know, the people that are in power in D.C. on that side of the aisle were able to get, you know, Supreme Court judges, were able to get policy and stuff implemented that Republicans want to do. And that's the reason people like like Donald Trump and people like Ron DeSantis are being supported. And it was despicable. It's 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 still despicable this day. But what's different, Brian? What's different about Republicans in 1980 with respect to Ronald Reagan, right? And Republicans back then who are real Republicans and Republicans today is you Republicans, you people on the right will do anything to support to support candidates who aren't even Republicans and who don't even represent your party in reality. That's what we're talking about here. Now, if you don't believe me, you can see the images that have taken place over the weekend uh, with Donald Trump and this Republican gubernatorial candidate, uh, Doug Mastriano of Pennsylvania. You can see these images for yourself. And while some people will say, well, they weren't doing the Hail Hitler sign, they were just putting one finger up. The point I'm trying to make is it is a salute to a politician and a movement to me, and it has eerie symbolism, and it reminds me, and it reminding a lot of people of the Hail Hitler sign. We don't see this in both parties. We haven't seen this in both parties. Yeah. This, this, this raising your arm and your hand like Donald Trump is some sort of god. Uh, you know, it, to me, it's just absolute buffoonery, and it's disgusting. And there are people out there on the right that are defending it. I mean, to me, it's very similar to a symbolism of you remember when Kyle Rittenhouse. When he was uh, on trial for murder and, you know, he was found not guilty. But as he was in trouble, before he was found not guilty, he's hanging out with these Proud Boy members in this local bar with his mother of all people, by the way, who's another uh, piece of garbage. And he's taking pictures with these Proud Boy members and there's images of him using the white power sign. That's exactly what this is, okay? He wasn't saying, hey, everybody, I'm A-OK. No, that's not what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. This is the white power sign. And when people... See that? I see that type of imagery. It's very similar to what we saw over the weekend with some of these alt-right Republicans. It is a hatred sign. That's what that is. The white power sign is a hatred bigotry sign that's saying your race is better than anybody else. When you use, when you put your arm up, and whether it's a hail Hitler or whether it's putting a finger up with your arm up, there's no place for that in this country. There shouldn't be a place for that anywhere no in the doubt. world, yeah. okay? And when this idiot who's running for governor in Pennsylvania, boy, if you vote for this guy, you got issues. Doug Mastriano, who I think probably after that rally was headed to his Klan rally, um, when he does something like that, that's what it reminds me of. It's a symbolism of hatred, and it's a symbol of, of bigotry, and it's a symbol of um, we are the ones, we are the best, and nobody else is. I mean, it's just it, it, to me, there should be no place for that anywhere, well, Brian, let me push back a little bit because, look, when with respect to Republicans, right, and people on the right, not everybody is – you just you, you basically put everybody in the same basket as being alt-right. They're not. Okay, alt-right is a description of people that are on the far right. You know, you're talking about racists. You're talking about 
you know, homophobic people you're talking about, xenophobic people, you're talking about people that are deplorable, right? When Hillary Clinton made that comment regarding deplorables, that's what you're talking about when you're talking about the alt-right. Not everybody yep. that's a Republican, not everybody that's a Trump supporter is on the alt-right. What I was talking about was, was there's, you know, and not everyone is, is, I would describe, we've used this term a lot, right, during the Trump era here, the last six, seven years, of it being a cult, right? We use this all the time. It's a cult following because they just blindly follow and they blindly worship Donald Trump, right? There's this idea that everything he says is golden. Everything that, that he says is, is spot on. There's this idea that we are going to defend Donald Trump no matter what, no matter what he says, no matter what he does. So that's, that's why the aspect of a cult following comes into play, right? And that's what we're talking about here. So what's troubling, I think, to a lot of us, we don't, and, and you pointed that, you just pointed this out. We don't do that on the left. I'm a left winger. I'm a Democrat, right? You don't see me saying, I just referred to the current president of the United States as an almost 80-year-old retread. I just basically criticized Joe Biden. And there are a lot of instances where Democrats like myself and left-wingers criticize people in our own party. You just don't see that with the likes of Donald Trump or – now, look, you have Joe Walsh on the show a lot, right? Yeah, There's people that are no longer in the Trump camp. I get that. But there's just way too many that are still there that still you know, basically pray at the altar of Donald Trump and now are trying to pray at the altar of Ron DeSantis in a much smaller way because Ron DeSantis doesn't have the cachet – that Donald Trump has and doesn't have the popularity that Donald Trump has, but there's still that mentality that you can blindly see. You can see they just they just blindly follow these individuals regardless of if they're making mistakes or if they're just bad people or they do things like Ron DeSantis does, which ships ships off undocumented immigrants to parts of the country that uh, there, there's no real need to do it. There's no purpose for it. There's no end game. It makes no sense that he's doing this, but they still support it because it's. It's a way to own the lefts, to own the libs, you know, and the people love that on that side of the aisle. So, as again, I'll point out real quickly, there, there's just not that, there's no, it's a false equivalency. Those of us on the left don't have that reverence that a lot of you people on the right have for your people, i.e. the Donald Trumps and the Ron DeSantis's, Brian. This was the uh, moment that I was talking about. We have a little audio to share with you. Uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano of Pennsylvania that was instructing people to raise their arms with a finger, very similar and eerie, uh, to uh, Hail Hitler. Have a listen to this. And we'll do that by putting our right hand in the air on the count of three. If you're willing to do this. Can you say what they said at Gettysburg? When you see us lined up as one, sweep down the hill to victory. On the count of three, we'll bring our hand down as one. Father, I pray that indeed Pennsylvania will be like Little Round Top, and America will have a new birth of liberty. As one on the count of three. One, two, three. As one! Just weird. Just what a what a buffoon. Think about this, right, Brian? There we are in a time and place right now in politics in America where five, ten, fifteen years ago, a lot of this stuff would be absolutely unheard of, right? You yeah. would be it would be political suicide if these instances came up where you had, you know, basically a, a mirroring of Nazi salutes, or you had say, for example, racist statements being made, right, by politicians like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Matt Gates or Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. A lot of these instances that happen in 2022, 
we have almost normalized them in American politics. And back in the day, not even five, ten years ago, it would be unheard of that these incidents would take place. That's why we are in a very bad spot right now in American politics and in, in just the discourse back and forth in our country regarding yep. American politics. No question. Uh, as I mentioned tomorrow on the show, Robert Tellis who's accused of murdering. I mean, I hate to even say accused. I mean, he's going to be found guilty. But uh, Robert Tellis, in my opinion, is a murderer. But uh, we're going to have his ex-wife on the show tomorrow. And mm-hmm. she did nothing wrong. Uh, there are a lot of other victims here. Sadly, uh, there is one person that is that lost his life in Jeff. And I feel horrible for him, his family and friends. But I want to hear from uh, Tellis' ex-wife, and we will. Uh, Tanya will be joining us tomorrow on the show. And uh, she's agreed to come on. And I'm going to ask her, you know, did you see any warning signs? Did, did, did this guy have anger issues, substance abuse? I mean, these are questions that I will ask her tomorrow um, on the show. Uh, Thomas Moskal, the former district attorney here in Las Vegas, will be joining us in the studio tomorrow as well. And we'll also have some fun and, and preview uh, the parade, which will be tomorrow. The Las Vegas Aces will be on the strip tomorrow, I believe, around sundown. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to preview and talk to you. My thanks to Natalie Williams, the general manager of the Las Vegas Aces, for joining us. I would imagine at the Aces parade tomorrow, when they're making speeches, nobody's going to ask them to raise their hand and do a salute or anything. I don't, I don't think that. That think, won't be the case, Brian. No. I don't think that's going to. Uh, <laughs> Becky uh, Hammond is a great coach. Did I pronounce that right? There it is. Right there. Yeah, did I so no D on the end. Yeah. We can go back and listen to the tape, folks. Well, I have not am I heard crazy the D out yet. there? PTL listeners out there. Well, PTL Nation. I'll say this. Am I, is, is C. Win out of line here yeah. by, by pointing out I'll that end the show. throwing a D on the end of her name? If I, I'll, am I crazy I'll, about I'll that? I'll end the show by saying this. If yeah. there's anybody that really okay. likes the D, uh, it's definitely Chris Wynn. All right, I'll, I'll leave the show there. That that, that's a horrible way to end the show. How about, <laughs> how about we end the show this way? We're also going to talk tomorrow, Brian Wright, about the experience tonight. Two marquee NFL Monday night games tonight, right. and you're going to be at the Sapphire. Are you oh, going to be there? I don't know. I don't know yet. Depends. Well, he's, he's not. He's not committing. Unbelievable. We're not big on back to back, same type of deal things. You know, when it comes to <laughs> my football. What? I don't know. What? We'll what? See. Open we'll bar, free food. All right. Well, we'll see you guys at Sapphire tonight with or without Chris Wynn. Uh, by the way, if Chris doesn't show up tonight, there'll be wings for you to eat tonight. No question about that. But anyway, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody. interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now, Pushing the Limits, here's Brian Shapiro. Well, what's up, everybody? Happy Monday. It is Pushing the Limits. I am, re, I guess, revitalized. I've got, I've got a lot of energy today because, man, i got, I, I got to tell you, the weekend, I had a good night's sleep, but the weekend was a lot of fun. Oh, boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Oh, my gosh. And guess what? Most of it doesn't involve politics. Yeah. Hope everybody had a good weekend. We're obviously going to talk Las Vegas Aces today. Congratulations to this wonderful organization. They are officially WNBA champions. As I said, they would win in week one of the WNBA season. They did. They were the best team in the league, and they proved it, winning game four. 
And Ace's general manager, Natalie Williams, will be joining us in hour number two. Fresh off a flight from Connecticut to Vegas, that's a much better flight than Vegas to Connecticut. Let me tell you that. I've had that flight a couple times. Not fun. When you're coming back to Vegas, it's much more enjoyable. Uh, So Natalie will be joining us in hour number two. We are going to talk about what was an epic disaster at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. I really don't know what other way to describe it, folks. I've never seen a loss like this before in person. It was catastrophic. Uh, the Ra- and I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous. The Raiders found a way to lose after being up 20 to nothing at halftime. Uh, we have all uh, I-, I had a chance and an opportunity to speak with J.J. Watt. We'll play that audio for you. We'll play some audio from Josh McDaniel. You're not going to believe what he said about Derek Carr's performance yesterday. And we'll hear from Derek Carr as well. Everything and anything, that was the Raiders' epic collapse against the Arizona Cardinals today. And what a performance by Kyler Murray. It was a a star-stud performance, whatever you want to call it, by him in the second half yesterday. Really an incredible and a special thing to watch. So we'll talk about that as well. A big UNLV football. Let's, Let's call it for what it is. It was a big UNLV win over the weekend against a decent team, and it was a convincing win. So we will talk about that as well. Uh, very fair. Uh, obviously, the Raiders didn't do the Aces any any favors because a lot of people are talking Raiders this morning. People are talking Aces, but a lot of people are also talking about the Raiders' disaster. Joining me in studio, as he does every Monday, always a pleasure, having Chris Wynn in the house. Chris, what's going on, man? It's going good, Shap. Good to join you, of course, every Monday. It is a staple, and as usual, there was all kinds of action across the board over the weekend, and uh, look, a little addition of the weekend, of course, it was a big fight weekend, right? I was just going to Tapping that, off man. a trilogy, right? Triple G and Canelo going at it, and yeah. uh, a, you were a, there in person. You had a chance to see that what a and check that out. But, uh, gotta again, I got I to poke the bear a little bit with you. You know, you can't, bro, Brian, you can't, you know, you can't own, oh, yeah, I picked the uh, Las Vegas Aces to win the WNBA championship when they were like the hands-on favorite to win. The WNBA championship. Uh, well, right? a hands-on favorite. Uh, Come on. I mean, they're the team picked to win the championship. You can't just own it and say, oh, yeah, I was the guy. I was the guy that picked him to win. This is, by Come the way, now. coming from the guy who just probably went 0-12 over the weekend with his picks. But anyway. Um, what do you uh, they were, they Even were, if I did, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> What's that have to do with the price um, of tea in China? Uh, well, first of all, uh, not everybody picked the Aces to win. But uh, they were the better team, and they, they certainly deserved it. But, Chris, before we get to yes. all the picks and the sports over the weekend, uh, and, yes, we will talk about Canelo Triple G as well. I was at that fight. What a doozy. What a snoozer. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a little experience I had over the weekend. Uh, I was invited uh, to, to, to the Stratosphere to play in a $50,000 blackjack tournament. Let yes. me tell you something. Our good friend Al DeLeona invited me into this tournament. And um, let me tell you, I haven't really been to the Stratosphere in a long time. Or at least I haven't gambled there, and I haven't really walked around. What a phenomenal job they have done with this casino. Uh, first of all, the casino floor looks completely different than it did, you know, even uh, a year ago. Completely different, yeah. in a much better way. The sports book, the William Hill there, is beautiful. They've got a PTs there that is awesome. The comedy club is now downstairs and much improved as well. The restaurants are better. So they have this uh, blackjack tournament. And by the way, the people there are so awesome. Uh, Tom, uh, casino host there, mm-hmm. he's great. Uh, I met the general manager. Just really, really nice, personable people. I was really impressed with the staff they had there as well. So they invite me to this tournament, and they actually have this blackjack tournament up on top of the stratosphere. Really? Where the lounges right on that floor. So how cool is that? You're playing blackjack, and uh, you have this incredible view. What a really cool place to have a blackjack tournament. Anyway, good news is, of all the players in the tournament, I made the final table. 
five players left standing. Right? Lucky Shap. Look yeah. at Lucky Shap. Uh, it was luck. Hear it. I'm a very skilled blackjack player. Yeah. What can I tell you? <laughs> um, before I get to what happened and the money I won, I know somebody else in this room that was also invited to play in this blackjack tournament. He's wearing a very bright red shirt, and his name is I Chris Wynn. Yes. So Chris texts me, and I say, Chris, you're playing the tournament, right? He says, yes. So he texts me, and he's hanging out at a local bar, which is cool. You know, he's grabbing drinks, and he said he had $50 free play. I noticed Chris did not show up to the blackjack tournament the next day. Yeah. Well, what is well, your excuse? Well, the reason is is because <laughs> you, you mentioned I was just at one watering hole. That wasn't the case, okay? Your esteemed co-host today on the show was actually hitting a couple other places as well, too. Oh, well, that's and a- so things, one thing led to another, so there were extenuating circumstances circumstances as to why I was not actually at the tournament the next day. So it wasn't, you know, look, it wasn't a big deal. You know, I didn't get a chance to participate in the uh, promo blackjack tournament. No, no big deal. Okay. So uh, it was a good time though. Had a good time on a Friday night here in Vegas. And, uh, and uh, that was pretty much what went down. Fair enough. Tell me if I'm reaching too far here. Can you please explain to me when you're invited to a $50,000 blackjack tournament, what would be the extenuating circumstances the night before that, that would make you not show up? Well, there's just uh, good times and camaraderie, and I get a chance to hang out with uh, some friends in, uh, late, late into late into the night, did early you, into the e- to did, into, into the morning, Mr. Shapiro. Did you get late? It was very simple. Yes. Oh, you did. We don't get have laid. to get. No, I, no, I didn't say. No, look, we don't need to get into. Deep. See, look, unlike you, Mr. Shapiro, unlike B. Shap. I don't necessarily need to get into all the details so you didn't of my laid. personal life. No, I'm Chuck. Am I spot on right now as I go down this road? Unlike you, okay, okay so let me get this I, don't, right. I tend not to get into all of every single personal gotcha. detail that okay. that uh, nobody really right. cares about on the radio. Understood. Right? So there, there were extenuating, cir- <laughs> un- there were extenuating circumstances. Yes. You didn't get laid. This isn't the going only other, the way Shap... Uh, the uh, only uh, other extenuating... This isn't going the way he thought the this was going to go. Oh, no, it's no, going Chuck. exactly the way I thought. The only extenuating circumstances I could think of is... Yes. You were drinking and playing Caveman Kino and losing money. That's the only other thing I could think of. What else would you be doing? You're at that specifically time? your your details are off base a little bit as far as as far as that goes. Yes, there was gambling, <laughs> there was drinking, and there was uh, you know getting a chance to hang out with friends was kind of the thing. Did you get laid? Down. Yes or no? I don't know. I did not. No, no, did, I did not. Laid. Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Did you go to a massage so, yes. parlor? I did not do that either. No. <laughs> Okay, uh, it's, it's it's interesting. He brings those up as if it's the only thing that I could do in Las Vegas. It is. It, is. it is. That's, it's very. It's very interesting. Caveman Kino massage. That, that, those that, are that, all... that that's your viewpoint. That that's the, those only, are the two only two things two. I could have done on a Friday night in all this right. great. So town. anyway, Chris. Yeah. Chris and I had a deal. Obviously, he needed to show up to the tournament, but we had a deal that we would split it 50 Well, we probably would have had the deal, right? Yes. If I would have yes, shown up yes. at the tournament, we so probably anyway, would have had that deal. So anyway, Chris show up. Shapiro makes the final yeah. table of this blackjack tournament, 50000 up for grabs in promo chips. Yeah. And uh, I, I tell the guys at the final table before the tournament starts at the final table. By the way, there was like 100 people watching. It right. was really cool. I told them all. I said, why don't we just chop it? Now, in the poker world, that means you split the prize money. Second place prize is ten grand. Yeah. And and guess what? Three of the guys immediately said yes. And I got this one idiot to my left, and he had to think about it and then look at his mom. The guy's a grown man. Why are you asking your mom, you moron? He's sitting there, and we're pressuring him. We're like, come on, dude. What's taking so long? I don't know if he was just being a moron, or, or, but he finally said yes. Okay. So then we just played the final table for fun, but we weren't right. You know, we weren't really playing for much of anything. Um, but it was awesome because we split ten thousand. I turned uh, uh, the promo chips. I turned. I didn't win ten thousand, but I won a little more than half that. So it was a good, you know, good weekend for me. And uh, well, how uh, many people are on the final table? Uh, five, five. So okay, we, sp- so we split fifty. 
ten thousand each in promo chips. Oh, you, oh, wait, so you split fifty thousand. Okay, so you got yeah. ten thousand each. Yeah, in promo, promo chips. chips. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so it was a it was a fun day, right? Now yeah. I want to ask uh, Chris. I want your personal uh, opinion. Yes. On a situation I got myself into, and then we'll get into sports, and we'll get right into the Raiders here in a couple minutes. Okay. I don't want to take too long on this, right. but I do want your opinion, and I, I think people are interested in my personal life sometimes. It says not sexual, by the way. No, not really. Not, this is not not se- really, not is, really, Brian. This is not sexual. Right. Uh, there were as Chris as Chris would <laughs> no, say. Chuck, can you concur with me on this? As Chris would say, PTL uh, listeners out there, the, the PTL PTL fam out there. What was? Uh, can you concur? All right, shut up for our a second. Our interest in Brian Shapiro's uh, uh, personal life. Uh, uh, there were extenuating circumstances, as Chris exactly. would say. Hey. So I know a friend. I have a friend. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've never dated. I, I, I've known this person for about six or seven years. She says to me the night before the uh, blackjack tournament, she says, hey, Brian, if you win, what are you going to give me? Uh, 20 grand, I'm thinking. So I'm like, I'll Wait, give time, time out, time yeah, out, time yeah, out. Yeah. Okay, so what, what are you going to give me? That's, I, don't, yeah. I don't really understand the reasoning behind that, Brian. It's a little inappropriate. Why would somebody ask? I was a little off-put by it, but I answered. How much you're going to get. Understood. Uh, it was, I was off. When you're not playing the tournament. I agree. It was off-putting. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I said, you know, I'll, I'll give you 1000 Heck yeah. You know, I, 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 I'd give you 1000 And then that was kind of the end of the conversation, right? So anyway, I, I didn't win the tournament. Right? No. But I, I won, you know, a decent amount of money. But right. I, I didn't win the tournament. And I didn't win barely 25% of that. The next day, this person gets so angry at me and says, I want $500. And I said, uh, okay, I, I guess I can give you 500 but it's kind of weird. Uh, you know, I'll take you out to a nice dinner or something. And, you know, but what? And, and this person got made me out to be this horrible human being because I didn't give this person immediate cash after winning a, a certain amount of money. And I was so off put by this because I don't ask my friends for money. Like, have you ever, like, we all get it. It seems strange to me. I will, I yeah, will it say that. Bizarre. It just seems like a strange kind of scenario. Like I don't understand people. Like that. you're not you're not a gambler, you're not yeah. playing. It's like somebody you're driving with somebody to the lotto to, to buy the lotto in another state, right? And this person never buys the lotto, and then this person says, "If you win, I want blah 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 blah." Well, wait a second. You're not buying any lotto tickets. Why should I have to give you money? I'm the one taking the the gamble, not you, right? I, I don't understand that. It's one thing if two people are sitting at a bar playing a slot machine and somebody hits, yeah, then you, you help out the other person. But it's like. Why are you going to give somebody money when they don't gamble and they don't take any risks? Am I wrong? Well, like, no, you're preaching the choir here with me. Look, I don't understand the mindset that there's just an assumption that, that just because someone is in the orbit right, right or there right. with you that they're going to automatically yeah. get money. Now, look, if, you want, if, if the person is generous enough or is, in the, is feeling like, hey, I have my friends here, right, or the people with me here, and I, I want to kick somebody some, some cash— yeah, because I want some money, so be it. That yeah. fa- seems fair to me. Whatever, but the assumption and the expectation, I guess, yeah, that they're supposed to just get money. Well, just because I mean, I don't, I, I well, don't really understand that. But whatever, might have might have ruined yeah. might have ruined a friendship. I don't understand why it would be something that would uh, that would be be uh, that would split you guys up though. You know, I don't understand like uh, not not from your standpoint. I'm saying like I don't understand why. Uh, this person would take a yeah. negative approach to this. I don't know, and you know, I, 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 I just don't get that. I don't know, and, and I'm done. I'm done even right. worrying about it now at this point. So anyway, I was supposed to go on a okay. trip with this person next month, and I offered to buy the plane ticket for this person and pay for all expenses, like everything, food, everything. That wasn't good enough. Wait I a minute, timeout. Yeah. Wait, timeout, timeout, timeout. Yeah. So wait a minute. You're you're so essentially you're offering money. Yes. Yes. 
So you're you would have been giving this person absolutely. Money. I would have been happy to do that. Yeah. I don't understand the conflict. I understand what this per- why this um, person would be upset. I don't or either. Be I don't either. Vindictive towards you or I don't be, know. I don't know. I don't. That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand either. But, but it doesn't. Uh, it's certainly not somebody that I want to hang out with moving forward. Uh, it, it makes me feel like crap. And and uh, you know I'm I'm not afraid to talk about my personal life on the air. I do it all the time. This is this is different. I'm sorry. This. I don't have more definitive answer. I, I, I did not know about this before you yeah. started talking about this on the air. So well, know. that's what happened. That's what happened. And it kind of put me in a bad mood yesterday before the Raiders game. <laughs> Raiders fans were also in a bad mood after the game. Well, that's it. Yeah. Well, we'll that, that makes now. sense, yeah. right? We'll, that's we'll, something that doesn't we'll, shock we'll anybody. But anyway, exactly. for the most part, I had a great weekend. I saw the Canelo fight, which was a complete doozer or snooze. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, UNLV football, we'll get to that a little bit later yeah. as well. But I want to start with the Raiders, Chris, because uh, as I mentioned all week leading up to this game, and I think pretty much everybody else agreed with me, which is it's a big game. It's a big game for the Raiders because you really don't want to start 0-2. Arizona doesn't want to start 0-2 either. You're at home. And the Raiders could not have gotten off to a better start. Derek Carr was clicking on all cylinders. I think he he, he missed one, maybe one pass the entire first half to Darren Waller for a touchdown. But but he was fantastic in the first in the first half, Derek Carr was. The defense was fantastic. Uh, it just seemed to me that Carla Murray couldn't get into any rhythm. They looked terrible, Arizona did. And then you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, halftime, you know, Raiders score a few more touchdowns, the game should be over. And then all of a sudden I looked at a friend of mine sitting to my right at the game and uh, Arizona had scored their first touchdown and I believe uh, the Raiders went three and out. And I, said, I looked at him, I said, this game is far from over. And I think at that point there was like six minutes left to go in the third quarter. And let me tell you something, Derek Carr in the second, I'm going to start with Derek Carr and then we'll yeah. talk about the defense. Derek Carr in the second half, Looked like the Derek Carr of week one. He stunk. He couldn't complete a pass. He was not accurate. And yes, I understand he was a lot of he was in some third and longs, but he was not completing passes. He wasn't making plays. And on the other side of the football, Kyler Murray was a stud. He was throwing bullets to everybody. And if he wasn't completing passes, he was running it himself for first down yardage. And meanwhile, the Raiders couldn't do anything. The Arizona offense was running through them like a hot knife in butter. Nine, ten yards, every single play. And and as every minute passed, you heard Legion Stadium getting quieter and quieter. And people were getting worried. And then I'm talking to my friend JT the Brick in the third. And this was like right at, and JT's a great guy. He does a fantastic job covering the Raiders. And this was the two-point conversion, if you remember, Chris. When Kyler Murray, it appeared as though he had about ten minutes to, to, to run it in himself for two points. Well, uh, yeah, he basically ran a uh, hundred yards just to just to get yeah, right. the point conversion. Yeah. Not many quarterbacks that could yeah. scramble like that. You also have two guys yeah. that are a little bit overweight uh, on the line for the Raiders that were looking up and standing up, and and they you know and they were obviously tired. But Kyler Murray made a great play. Uh, keep in mind, you needed both of those two point conversions. But anyway, after that first two point conversion, Chris, I'm talking to my my buddy JT, who I, I love, and he looks at me and he goes with this serious face. That only JT can make. He looks at me and he goes, Brian, they better not lose this game. (laughs) That's what he said to me. I looked at him and I said, JT, you're right. They better not. And listen, they were still uh, up a touchdown there at least. And and, and then again, what what does Derek Carr do when he gets the football? Three and out. Can't get any first downs. And then you're really getting concerned. And you're like, oh my God, is Arizona going to have an opportunity down eight? One possession, keep in mind, eight points. They were down 16, uh, down eight to tie this game. And the minutes go by, and the seconds go by. First down, second down, third down, converting fourth downs. 
numerous occasions on this drive. And then it came down to one play. On fourth down, they had to score a touchdown with literally no seconds left on the clock. And what does Kyler Murray do? He, he, they score a touchdown. And then it comes down to a two-point conversion at the end of the game with zero seconds on the clock, by the way. And it is a surreal atmosphere because everybody is in shock at this point before the two-point conversion. And we're saying, how did it even get to this point? And I'm thinking to myself, the Raiders will probably win the game. But what, And I'm telling my friends at the game, I'm like, even if the Raiders do win this game, this is an embarrassment to allow Arizona to come back and to be so lack of efficiency on both sides of the football. And then Kyler Murray makes another unbelievable throw between three Raiders players and a great catch. The two-point conversion is made. The game is tied. And now you're thinking to yourself, okay, anything could happen. And the Raiders lose the coin toss. And Arizona gets the football. But the Raiders are able to stop them. Raiders get the ball back, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, after all this, the Raiders have a chance. Hunter Renfro fumbles the football. They still keep the ball. They're fortunate. They're lucky. Then an ensuing play, I think one or two plays later, they have the ball at the Arizona 45-yard line. And Derek Carr should have thrown a pick. It should have been picked off. It was a terrible ball that he threw. In most situations, that would have been a pick. But the Raiders get another chance, and the luck continues for them how poorly they are playing, how poorly Derek Carr is throwing the ball. And what is Hunter, and guys, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to start here with you, Chris, on this. What the hell is Josh McDaniels doing allowing Derek Carr to throw the ball when they're practically almost in field goal range already? You have to run the ball there. What do they do? They throw it to Hunter Renfro. He gets popped, and he really gets popped. It was a wonderful hit. And Hunter Renfro fumbles the ball, and they run it in for a touchdown. Now I'll give you my quick thirty-second <laughs> synopsis. I know I've I've, I've described that. I've described what took place in the game. Now I'm going to give you my opinion. Okay. Derek Carr was awful in the second half. He was terrible. The Raiders' defense was terrible. But I'm going to give Arizona a lot of credit because I haven't really talked about Arizona. The adjustments they made in the in the half at halftime were phenomenal. The defense stepped up. They got a lot of help from the Raiders' offense, but the defense stepped up. They put a lot of pressure on Derek Carr. Kyler Murray was a stud in the second half. He played like the superstar that he is capable of playing, and he was phenomenal, and we saw something very special. 30 minutes of of a quarterback that, that, that was just unbelievable special. This is an embarrassment for the Raiders. It was a terrible loss just because of how the way it happened, let alone you don't want to start the season 0-2. Uh, I, I blame Carr, the defense, the entire team, the coaching staff in the second half. They were just ill-prepared for what uh, Arizona was giving them. And um, we're going to have some audio to play, Chris, but just an embarrassing loss by the Raiders. Catastrophic. So I'll wrap it up a little bit as far as this analysis of this game. It was a tale of two halves, Brian. Okay, the first half, the Raiders looked solid. And offensively, they were able to get some things rolling a little bit. You saw a, a, a touch of what Josh McDaniels is supposed to bring here to this Las Vegas Raiders team from an offensive standpoint, right? You saw Amir Abdullah get the t- uh, you know get get a solid play early on. You got a chance to see a little bit of uh, spreading it around when it came to the wide receivers. We saw the emergence of Hollins as a wide receiver for the Raiders, who a lot of even Raider fans probably aren't even you know uh, aware of as far as him. And you had you had Hunter Renfro actually getting some action. In this game, so the first half Raiders looks look decent. They're up thirteen to seven at halftime, 
And up twenty to zero. Going, or, up twenty to zero at halftime. Or excuse me, up twenty to nothing. Yep. First in the first half. Second half, completely different story. Completely different story. Arizona is able to get something going offensively, especially in the fourth quarter, where they scored sixteen points basically in the fourth quarter to send this game to overtime. And the Raiders defensively had some issues, and it just was. And look. Going into the game, what what were some of the things that they were looking to rectify, right? You were re- trying to rectify Derek Carr not throwing interceptions like he did in the Chargers loss, right? They were able to do that. The guy didn't throw an interception. So, I mean, I guess you kind of fixed that. Unfortunately, though, you didn't have a lot of imagination from an offensive standpoint for the Raiders, despite the fact that uh, they scored 23 points in the game. It wasn't, ex- it wasn't a good game at all for Derek Carr from a statistical standpoint. This is a guy that was out there, you know, threw for uh, barely 250, and his QBR was barely over 50%, and he had a couple touchdown passes, no picks. That's good, I guess. But at the end of the day, it comes right down to what you talked about regarding Hunter Renfro. You're in a position to still win the game. You're still in the position to win the game in overtime, and you, and you make uh, one mistake that almost costs you. You get the ball back with Hunter Renfro coughing up the pumpkin. And then, you know, obviously two plays later, he gets absolutely drilled. And it's the worst-case scenario for the Raiders because Arizona makes a big play defensively, picks it up, takes it back, and wins the game and essentially shocks all of Raider Nation that was there in, in Allegiant Stadium as well as everybody that was watching this game on TV. It was a horrible way to lose in overtime against a team that you are better than. Let's make no mistake about it, Brian. Let's not cut to the let's cut to the chase. The Raiders are a better football team than the Arizona Cardinals. Losing that game at home is absolutely ridiculous and you can kind of you can kind of overanalyze, you know, uh, aspects of the game, I guess we can kind of do that, but the, the, there's a reason why Raider Nation and the Silver and Black uh, faithful today are still steaming and upset over the way that that game went down last night is because you lost to a team that you're absolutely better than, and it puts them behind the eight ball with respect to not just uh, the AFC picture, but the AFC West picture as well, too, being 0-2 now on the season. So there's a lot to dissect here, but I'm going to play you some audio from after the game, and I want to start with this. You mentioned Derek Carr, and I've mentioned Derek Carr. Derek Carr was terrible in week one. He was worse in the second half yesterday. He was atrocious. He is not the only reason why they lost the game. The defense was terrible in the second half. The fumbles by Hunter Renfro. Guys were not making plays. The coaching staff, I thought, failed as well in the second half in dealing with the adjustments that Arizona made. With that all being said, Derek Carr was awful in the second half. Josh McDaniel was asking, was asked by my friend Brian Feldman, after the game, I was in the room in the press conference. Brian Feldman does a show, a weekly show here. He's on Fox Sports Radio every weekend. He asked Josh McDaniels this question about Derek Carr. I want to, you to hear the question, which I think is a very fair question. And I want to hear, I want you to hear Coach's answer. Have a listen to this. Derek Carr had a rough uh, week last week. Had a real proficient first half, was making some good passes, as you said, making converting third and longs. In the second half, it looked like a completely different player. Any idea what changed with him and his rhythm? And yeah, his... nothing with Derek. Derek, Derek played fine. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we got to do better around him in the second half. Um, you know, to put the quarterback in a third and long situation and ask him to overcome it on his own, you know, certainly isn't a good formula for success. So, I thought Derek played a good football game today. Okay, Coach, what football game were you watching? What are you talking about, Derek Carr? Quote played a good football game today. He did nothing in the second half. 
What are you talking about? I'm not saying there weren't other people. Okay, I understand it from this perspective. When you're the head coach, you don't want to razz on your players. You don't want to razz on your quarterback. You want to defend him. I get all that. I understand that. I'm not saying coach should have been up there yesterday and said Derek Carr was terrible. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. The entire team needs to be held accountable. Derek Carr was really good in the first half. I'm sure Derek would want a few of those balls back in the second half. That's not attacking your quarterback, but it's saying, yeah, Derek could have been a lot better. To me, it said a lot about the head coach because there are a lot of coaches. John Gruden wouldn't have answered the question like that. Most coaches in the league wouldn't have answered it like that. When you get up there and you say, quote, he didn't just say Derek Carr was okay. He said Derek Carr played a good football game. Yeah, if the game was only 30 minutes, Coach, I agree with you. Derek Carr was very good. Unfortunately for you guys, the game is a 60-minute football game. Coach, what the hell are you talking about? We all saw the way he played in the second half. It's not all on him, but there were some a few easy passes that he couldn't convert. It was way behind the, the, the receiver. Derek Carr was terrible. He wasn't making any plays for his team in the second half. It's not all on him. How can you sit here or stand in front of the media and make the statement that, quote, Derek Carr played a good football game. I'm sorry, Chris. I think that's completely ridiculous. I think you're getting a little overdramatic. Look, you and I have both been in thousands of locker rooms after games, and we understand a lot of coaches' mindsets, right, when it comes to their star players. This is a purely spin, Brian. That's all this is. He didn't look. He didn't go over the top and say something like, "Oh, Derek played great." It was it, we, we didn't lose because of Derek. He didn't really dive too deep into it. It was absolutely an opportunity for Josh McDaniels to stand by his guy. Derek Carr is one of the players on this team that the Raiders are going to need to play well if they're going to to get to where they need to be and get to where they want to be, which is you know a playoff contender and a Super Bowl contender. He's going to have to be one of those guys on this team that's going to have to be one of the key contributors, bottom line. So Josh McDaniels is not especially two games into the season. He's not going to go up there and, and just lambaste Derek Carr by any stretch of the imagination. So I think, look, it was, it was a textbook answer that I don't think really shocked a lot of people. He was basically just trying to stamp out any idea that he doesn't have confidence in Derek Carr as a he quarterback. He could have said that. That's all he did. That's Chris, hold on. No, but Brian, that's all it was. Hold on, hold so, on, I mean, hold on. I disagree. Let me tell you why well, I disagree. What do you mean you disagree? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I disagree. You gave your opinion, I gave let, mine. I don't know why. Let me tell you why I disagree with what you just said. Let me tell you why. First of all, you don't have to say Derek Carr played a good football game to defend him. Uh, you can say this wasn't on Derek Carr. You could say there were a lot of variables that caused Derek Carr to do what he played the way he played. Whatever the case may you're, be. You're splitting hairs. Hold on, you're hold on, hairs. hold on, Brian, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you mean, hold on? You're splitting okay, hairs. Hold on, you're, let me finish. Let me finish. He let said me, it in a subdued way finish. that he had a good game. Just let was, me, just, he didn't go over okay, the top about just it. Just let me finish my point. Okay, I guess. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> You don't have to say Derek Carr played a good football game. You can say this wasn't on Derek Carr. You can make other reasonings for why the team was not successful. But when you say he played a good game, when we all know what we saw from Derek Carr in the second half, that is disingenuous and it makes you look like a buffoon. And I'm going to say it like that. There are. I'm not saying you have to attack your quarterback, and I'm also saying you should probably defend him. That's what a head coach should do. But that being said, you don't have to lie to everybody. He knows that Derek Carr was not good. He was good in the first half. He was just as bad and worse in the second half. It's not all on him. But don't say he played a good football game because a good football game, we would not have seen what we saw from Derek Carr in the second half. It is disingenuous, and I don't like it. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, you're going to hear from J.J. Watt. I had a chance to catch up with him, and you're going to hear... uh, 
from Derek Carr as well. I'm going to play you a cut from Derek Carr as well, and something that Derek Carr said uh, after the game that I disagree with as well. The bottom line is this was a embarrassing loss because of the way it happened. The Raiders have won a lot of close games like this, particularly last year against the Baltimore Ravens. They were very fortunate against the Miami Dolphins earlier in the season. And I said at the beginning of the year, you can't expect to win all those close games, but it's the way they lost this game. It's not like they came back after being down and then lost in overtime. They had a huge lead. They blew it. They, they looked like deer in headlights in the second half. They had no answers for the Arizona offense and Kyler Murray. We'll talk about that when we come back. He's Chris Wynn. I'm Brian Shapiro. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years and prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. I want to tell you guys about one of my favorite doctors in the Valley, Dr. K. She's a board-certified internal medicine physician. She's been in practice for over 20 years, went to Yale. She believes in treating body and mind as a whole by achieving harmony and balance. She offers hormone replacement, Botox, skin rejuvenation, even snoring treatment, because we know how that could be annoying from time to time. Also, plasma treatments and so much more with cutting-edge technology. Please give her a call. 702-410-5779. You could also give her an email at cosmeticaesthetics.lv at gmail.com. Again, that number, 702-410-5779. Call Dr. K. Tell them I sent you, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. 
They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices. Office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Hey, everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn, that true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub? When you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Monday, you know what that means, Chris. It's Monday Night Football at Sapphire, baby. You see when we'll be there? I was. That was a good time last week, I will say. Will you was, be there tonight with your roommates? I don't roommates? know yet. It, it, it's, it's still up for grabs. Your roommates, sure. your roommates will Not be sure. there. Oh, uh, you know Nilly is, is fired up, Shapiro. The atmosphere down well, there was absolutely outstanding. That was for one game. Now we have two games, two Brian. Games which, by the way, I don't really know what the NFL is doing here. What's up with the scheduling in the NFL? That's Usually weird. when there's two Monday Night Football games, you do that opening weekend, right? You well, do that the first the first week of the season. I think you should put and your uh, complaint put put your complaint card in Roger my, Goodell's my mailbox. Noted right by the NFL. I'm sure. Put I'm sure Roger Goodell is sitting back saying that kid C win there in Vegas. Sitting gotta, on his sitting on he his. He doesn't fortune, understand yeah. what we're doing. He doesn't understand. Put it in Roger Goodell's mailbox. But anyway, but tonight is a good time. Brian. Tonight at yeah. uh, Monday Night Football at Sapphire, there's going to be uh, open bar until halftime of the first game. Also, you get an incredible buffet. How good was the food there last week? The food is so good there. It's only twenty five bucks. Twenty five bucks. What? a deal so please check us out we will all be there i don't know if chris will be there because he's got extenuating circumstances i do but, i might have but, i might uh, have a uh, blackjack yeah. tournament i need yeah, to play you, in or you might but uh, tonight tonight uh, check us out monday night football that was actually pretty funny chris i'm glad i'm glad you're able to joke now about how you missed is, out yeah. on, on on some money but anyway check us out tonight <laughs> monday night football at sapphire we will be there please come by say hi we'll be doing some segments live uh broadcasting on youtube and twitter and all that stuff uh so we love it out there at Sapphire. We'll see you there. Uh, going back to the Raiders' catastrophic loss, and it was catastrophic. I'm not going to downplay this. I know it's only week two, but uh, the way they lost this football game, I put it on Derek Carr, the defense. Uh, of course, I think he had enough protection in the second half uh, to be able to make some plays, so I'm not going to put it on them. But the bottom line is this was an embarrassing loss. It, it felt like it wasn't one long game. It was like two or three games in one. That's what it feels like to me because the season doesn't get any easier for them. Here's what Derek Carr said after the game, by the way, in his press conference. Have a listen to this, and then uh, we will respond to it after. This is Derek Carr. You know, just one thing here, one thing there, and it looks like a bad play, and we're this close to having another good half. You know, there was a couple times, um, you know, looking for someone downfield or this or that, and one, one thing messes up, and that's a bad play. You know, and so it goes back to what coach says, do, do our job. And uh, no matter what the score is, if you just do your job at the end, it'll take care of itself. I'm sure when we watch the film, it'll be like, you know, over and over again, that'll be a theme. Okay, here's again where I disagree with Derek Carr. This wasn't one thing. This wasn't one thing here and there. 
everything didn't work in the second half. This wasn't one thing. Your defense was on the field too long, but they also couldn't stop them on third and long and on fourth fourth down plays as well. That's not one little thing that you look on film and say, oh, I ran that route the wrong way. Our timing was a little off. This isn't one little bitty thing. You guys were atrocious in the second half, Derek. How many times did you throw the ball behind a receiver in the second half? So, you know, this isn't just one little thing. I completely, you know, I get it. Derek Carr wants to downplay the problems that this team has. But they were the worst team in the NFL in the second half. I mean, you could arguably say that what what the Dolphins were able to do in their comeback, the team on the opposition was pretty bad as well in the second half. But look, the bottom line here is this. Good football teams find a way to bounce back. Even the Dallas Cowboys, without Prescott, as their QB, had a huge win at home against the Cincinnati Bengals because I believe they're still a good football team. Are they a great team? No. But I believe they're a good football team. And they came back after a disastrous week one and were able to defeat the Bengals. This was a team where I thought the Raiders, and I was wrong, by the way. And by the way, I didn't bet on the Raiders because I was very uneasy about this game. But this was a game, Chris, I'll be honest with you. I thought the Raiders were going to win this football game. I didn't think it was going to be a blowout. But I thought the Raiders were going to win. Why? Derek Carr had a horrible week one. Usually he bounces back after a really, really bad game. Number two, the Raiders are coming off of a loss in a a very important division game where uh, you want to beat L.A., and they weren't able to do so. I thought we would see a team, and we did see a team in the first half with a lot of emotion. They won the physical battles. But I don't know what happened in that locker room. I don't know. Maybe they ate something bad. I I don't know what happened. In your completely different team, but I disagree with Derek Carr. This isn't, uh, you know, everyone, we need to learn how to win. What do you mean you need to learn how to win? You're all professional athletes. You've been in the NFL for a long time, Derek. Uh, McDaniels has, has been doing this for a long time, maybe not as a head coach, but working under Bill Belichick. What do you mean we all need to learn how to win? You guys made the playoffs last year. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think they're a favorite to make the playoffs. I think they're they're going uphill from here. I know it's only two games in, but you're in a very difficult AFC. And and, and I'm telling you right now, I, they are against the eight ball right now. They are against the eight ball. You lose week one against the LA. You say, okay, it would have been nice if you won that game. Not the end of the world. Let's just get it done in week two. And, and the fact that the, the way they lost the game to me is more poignant than anything. So, look, man, I disagree with Derek. It's it's not one play here and there. Am I wrong? Uh, a little bit. I'd push back a couple things as far as the characteristics as to why they lost this game. It wasn't because of Derek Carr they lost this game, okay? They lost because of their offensive creativity was horrendous, right? You cannot have a running game that has 21 carries for just 80 yards. You know, that's the extent of your running game in this football game. You cannot have your prized acquisition, okay, Devontae Adams with two catches for 12 yards, all right, you can't have that. You can't have you know this kid basically coming off the bench that nobody's heard of in Hollins go out there and be your leading receiver with 66 yards. So I put this more on Josh McDaniels and the offensive coordinator for the Raiders as far as offensively what they were able to do. And I would also give the reason why they lost this game, Brian. The reason they lost wasn't Derek Carr. The reason they lost is because the the defense was gassed because they're playing so much in the second half. They're out there way too much. And I would put this more 
on Hunter Renfro that they lost this game than any other individual player because you cannot have not just one fumble where you get lucky and you get back and recover the football. You, you, you had, he had a, you know, an astronomical fumble that, uh, that was uh, you know, just absolutely devastating for the team because it led to the play that cost him the game and that lost him the game in dramatic fashion at the end of the game. Now, look, people are going to say, uh, proponents of Hunter are going to say, look, he got drilled. The guy's basically in c- concussion protocol right now, and it was a monster hit by Arizona. They made the play. Well, you know what? Yeah, they did make the play, but that was the reason they lost. So with, with respect to what Derek was talking about, yes, Brian, it was a couple key plays were the reason they lost this game. It was a 23-23 game going to overtime, and then you had that monstrous play that happened in which they ended up getting the L for. So I would say that. So that's, that's the way I would characterize the Raiders losing this game, and I would concur with you and agree with you on a lot of the other points you made regarding where they stand right now and what this team is about. We talked about this in, during the break, right, Brian? And I brought this up. You, want, you wanted to play this. We all want to play the schedule game right before the season started. This is one of the games they're supposed to win. This game against Arizona was one of the games they were supposed to win. Now, what do you have to do? Well, you got to make that up later on this season. You got to make it. You got to, you got to win a game that you weren't expected to win. Okay, to get yourself kind of you know back in uh, in the fold when it comes to the playoff picture later on down the line. So we'll see how it affects this team from a psyche standpoint, both defensively and offensively. But it is a horrendous way to go into week three now when you're going on the road okay. against the likes of Tennessee. Quickly, here's why I disagree with a little bit about what you said. Uh, you're right, Hunter Renfro, uh, two fumbles in overtime. It's inexcusable. That's on him. However, he wasn't the reason why the Arizona Cardinals were able to come back after being down 20 points. Uh, so let's remember that. I think this well, is I pointed on, out the on, defense, on, though. On, on, but I pointed out the on, defense. Hold on, I know. Hold on. Uh, this is on everybody. Now, the reason why I talk about Derek Carr first is because he's your leader. He's your starting quarterback. He's the man making all the money. And let's be honest, he was terrible in the second half. He was terrible in week one. Is this, as I've said five times already on this show, this isn't just on Derek Carr. That would be ridiculous if anybody made that statement. But on the offense, he's your leader, and he couldn't make any plays and I'm going to go and talk about Kyler Murray now because here's a guy that is a stud that as bad of a first half he had, you're not going to find a quarterback with a more flawless performance in a half than what I saw and what we all witnessed from somebody that is a very special and talented athlete in Kyler Murray. He was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, the throws that he was making under pressure and giving himself time to run for first down yards because he's such a phenomenal athlete. So I was able to talk to J.J. Watt after the game. Uh, I was able to go in the locker room and speak to a few players. J.J. Watt was one of them. And I just asked him, I wanted to ask him about his quarterback's performance in the second half. Here's that interaction. Your quarterback's performance in the second half in particular was yeah. pretty special to watch that. Yeah, it was very special. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what he can That's what he can do that nobody else can. I mean, I don't know how many guys are, are scurrying around back there for 25 seconds and then find their way in the end zone. I mean, I just watched him do things that prove why he is who he is and prove why that why we didn't doubt in the game. I mean, no matter how bleak it looked, we all knew that there was an opportunity and he made the most of it. And by the way, that entire locker room, man, they were pumped up, high-fiving each other, uh, swearing in a good way. So that was one of the few bites I could get there. There weren't, You didn't hear any swears in the background. Yeah. That Arizona Cardinals locker room was jacked up. I mean, that's a big win for them. When you start the season 0-1 and you're down 20-0 at the half uh, and you're able to come back, it says a lot about the resilience of your football team. Keep in mind that the Arizona Cardinals, the Raiders are healthy 
or were healthy. The Arizona Cardinals were without their top receiver, and they were still able to go into Elysian Stadium and win a football game. That is a huge win for that organization moving forward. And, uh, you know, Kyler Murray in the press conference, uh, you know, I was just looking at really intelligent guy, very well-spoken guy, uh, very modest. And uh, But he also said, uh, you know, he was asked what was going through his mind. Team's down 20-0 to zero in halftime. And he, and, and he said to himself, to himself, not to the team, at half, he was saying, I got to take over. It's time. It's time, Kyler. That's what he was saying to himself at half. I have to take over. Guess what? He did. And while the receivers made plays, and you got to give Arizona credit defensively, they made life very difficult on the Raiders in the second half. Kyler Murray is the reason why they came back and won that football game. Yes, we can talk about the fumbles. Yes, we could talk about Derek Carr and their lack of defense. We can talk about all those things. But in the end, Kyler Murray had to make big play after big play after big play. Fourth downs. How many fourth downs did they have? The two two two-point conversions, which were... Let's be honest, uh, Kyler Murray uh, created that first one, the conversion, and then in the second two-point conversion with zero seconds on the clock, he threw an absolute bullet. He threw a gem of a pass. The only place where his receiver could have caught the ball, and by the way, it was a fantastic catch, uh, fantastic catch. So you got to give Kyler Murray a lot of credit. To me, that's the, besides the, the Raiders' debacle, uh, the star of the game obviously is Kyler Murray. The, the guy is just a freak. He is a freak athlete, uh, and... Uh, I give a lot of credit to them. Uh, Chris, I'd be, uh, I'd, uh, I have to bring up UNLV football because while it was a very disappointing loss for the Raiders, and that would be an understatement, I wasn't sure what I was going to see from this UNLV football team uh, this weekend against a North Texas team. That's, that's pretty good. They're, they're a decent team. So let me say this to start. Okay, I'll take off my glasses for this one. I'm ready for this one. That was, a, that was the, that was the uh, seamless transition from yes. Las Vegas Raiders to uh, UNLV football yes. there, Shaft. I like it. I like it. Good stuff. Let me be clear on this, Chris, okay? Yeah. I want UNLV football. Yeah. I want UNLV football to succeed. As do I'm all not, of us, right? I'm not yeah. a big fan of our head coach. This team has struggled over the course of four decades, and it's not on him. It's not Arroyo's fault. I also don't have an ego when it comes to this stuff. I hope I'm wrong when it comes to UNLV football. And at the end of the year, if they make a bowl game, I'll be very happy for Coach Arroyo. I'll be very happy for UNLV football, and I'll be the first one to admit I was wrong. The one good thing going for them is the Mountain West Conference is not very good this year. I want UNLV football to succeed. Unlike all these other media personalities, or at least most of them that are on the air in this town, that never admit that they're wrong about anything. They were wrong about Dave Rice. Many people in this town still think Dave Rice deserved a contract extension. They were wrong about Marvin Menzies. A lot of people in this town still think Marvin Menzies should be the head coach. They were wrong about T.J. Altsberger, and I don't care the year that T.J. had last year because that's academic. I'm talking UNLV. They always seem to be wrong, and they never admit that they're wrong about anything. They were wrong about Coach Sanford. They were wrong about Bobby Houck. They were wrong about Tony Sanchez. Maybe, and by the way, I'm not quite ready to give it to them yet because they're 2-1. and one. You look at the first three games of the UNLV football season, if you said they're going to start the season 2-1, and one, UNLV would take that in a heartbeat. you got to beat Cal on the road and or beat North Texas. They won one of those games, and they had an opportunity to beat Cal on the road. Getting off to a 2-1 and one start is a good start for UNLV football. They've won just as many games, three games into it this year, as they did all of last year. It's a good start. Brumfeld was very, very good. I was very impressed with the way he played on Saturday. 
because he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't force anything. He let the game come to him, and he's maturing, at least from what I saw over the weekend, into a good quarterback. And and and, I, and I'm really impressed with him. And I'm impressed. I was impressed with the play calling as well. North Texas didn't have any answers, and it was a pretty tight game. UNLV got off to a good start, and then in the second half they just blew it wide open. I give them a lot of credit for that. Now, with that being said, we're three games into the season. There's a lot more football to be played. You start the season two and one. UNLV football has now put themselves in a position to have an opportunity to possibly make a bowl game. There's a lot more games to be played. You can't win four games this year. You better win at least five. But you have to give UNLV football credit where credit is due. And as I said, I don't have an ego. Even though all these people that are on the radio in this town when it comes to UNLV football or basketball will never admit they were wrong about anything when all of them... You have a little bit of an ego. All of them have been wrong about every coach that has been here for the past 15 years. I have been right on every single coach. And by the way, I think Kevin Kruger is going to do a good job here. I think the basketball program is going to be okay. The Rock has been fantastic. I still don't think Arroyo was the right guy for the job. But at the end of the year, if they make a bowl game, or even if they win five games... I'm going to say to myself, Coach Arroyo got the program moving in the right direction, but when you start the year 2-1, and one, now you've put yourself in a position. So a good performance by UNLV over the weekend. If they make a bowl game or even win five games, I'll say, you know what, maybe I was wrong about Coach Arroyo, but I am not ready to do that yet. Congratulations to UNLV football. Uh, a nice win against a, a decent football team. I'm not going to say North Texas is a powerhouse. I'm not going to say they're great. But they're a decent team that won half of their games last year. And UNLV's offense looked probably as, as good as it's looked in, in a very, very long time. So let's hope they can continue the momentum into this next week and uh, keep it going. Here's the deal, Brian, with respect to UNLV run Rebel football and Marcus Arroyo. You, you mentioned, of course, the 2-1 record. They expected to be 2-1. After the first three games, okay, let's be straight up and honest about it. They expected this. You're expected to absolutely win the first game of the season when you're playing against basically, you know, an FCS team, and then you go on the road and play a Pac-12 team. No, there some people thought they could go on the road and maybe pull an upset there. It, they played. There was a very close game, obviously, and then of course you come back home, and there was the perception of most of us that, that cover college football and that uh, are knowledgeable about college football understood that these two teams were, were pretty similar. We thought they would be pretty similar from a talent standpoint, and that was the case for the first half of this football game as both these teams were trading punches basically back and forth. And North Texas, yeah, they would give up a touchdown but then go right yep. down, and, and uh, their quarterback would end up throwing another 50-yard bomb, and they were right there in the game. So it was a, it was a close game until the, until the second half rolled yep. around. That's when Doug Brumfeld and uh, you know, Aiden Robbins and this offense started rolling, and you had White having a big-time game, and you had basically uh, a, 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 a clinic being put on by UNLV from an offensive standpoint and the Rebels just pulled away in the second half and ended up, it ended up being a blowout. So from the Rebels' standpoint right now, though, Brian, Marcus Arroyo and, and everybody else involved with that program, they're not shocked that they're 2-1 right now. This, right now, the rubber's about to meet the road. They're about to go into conference play. This is when we're going to find out exactly what this team is all about. That is going to be the key as to whether or not they're in a bowl game. Look, we're three games into the season. People trying to project that this is going to be a bowl team or not. I, I, you know, hey, we'll, we'll figure out exactly what it is this team is about when they actually yep. play teams in their conference. Number to call, 702-221-7283. Luckily for Coach Royal, the Mountain West is having a very big down year. They're not very good. Let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Richie Vegas, who's up here next on Pushing the Limits. What's up, Richie? Richie Vegas, nice. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? Good, man. What, what do you think, Richie? What's on your mind? 
I, I was there. I was there Saturday. I loved it. Good. Uh, yeah, the uh, the quarterback was, was playing smart football. Mm-hmm. He, he saw the scrimmages that he was running, and if he didn't get a throw, then he would run up and fall. He just he kept going and looking. He, I was really impressed, and the crowd was, um, and, and that that's what really um, just made me feel so uh, great that they were uh, playing good football, and the crowd appreciated it. Yep. Uh, with throws. I, I mean, think that's I agree. The, the, I, I agree, Richie. I think this will be the test, though, for Brumfeld. I think this is the big test, which is you're on the road in conference play. Are we going to see that that same quarterback? I hope we do. I think he has the tools. He seems to be a, a somebody with a very high football IQ. But that's the exactly. that's the test, Great though. Word. Right. That's exactly. the test. Though. But that's the test, Richie. Well, this is a positive. It's a big positive for UNLV football. There's no mis- make no mistake about it, Richie. But when he goes on the road in conference play. Will we see the same quarterback? Because if we do, they're going to make a bowl game this year. But if they we- well, they will. I mean, that's his personality. Okay, whether you know whether he's able to to make a throw or not, he still has the personality. To, well, as you just said, the uh, quarterback IQ right. to react and do something. He was doing yep. rollouts. Richie, I agree. Up. Listen, from what we saw on Saturday, Richie, I agree with you. But they're not playing North Texas on the road next week, so that's my concern. I I, I, okay. I agree with what you I'm said. Nice. You you can have personality, but it does, uh, right. something that Coach Royal certainly does not have. I'm sorry, that was a cheap shot. But uh, uh, shot taking would... shots at the coach, I love it. Hey, uh, D- hey Richie and Brian, Richie and Brian, Richie and Brian, Doug Brumfeld, first quarterback since Armani Rogers, I want to say six seven years ago, to have a hundred yards rushing on the ground and two hundred yards through the air. So impressive performance without question from Doug Prumfield. So he's going to be a big key for them moving forward. And Aiden Robbins, a monster game, you guys, on the ground. 227 yards on the ground, a couple of touchdowns, another big key as to why UNLV was able to get the win against the Mean Green on Saturday. All right, thank you for the call, Richie. I appreciate it. I like your enthusiasm, and let's see what they do next week. It's a positive for UNLV football. Let's go to John. John is next. Hi, John. What's going on, man? What's up, John? We are the champions, my friend. <laughs> my God, you guys are talking. You went, Are you serious? We're talking. We're setting went, it up, John. We're setting it up for the top of the hour, my friend. We're about to make a d- right. the deep dive. Hold on, John. Here's what I'm going to do. Deep dive. You can call back, John. Yes. This is like John. Allen Iverson practice. Are you talking UNLV? What? <laughs> Guess what, John? I have a, a, a John, you can call back next segment, okay? Because here's yes. what we have next segment. Uh, Natalie Williams. The general manager of the Las Vegas Aces will be joining us next. John, that'll make John very happy. Yes. We are going to talk some Las Vegas Aces basketball. Somebody won a chip over the weekend, Brian. Somebody won a championship. The Las Vegas Aces are world champions. They're WNBA champions. And John can call back next segment. Uh, But Natalie Williams, the former gold medalist, who actually, you know, you got to give her a ton of credit as well. She's done a great job in, in helping to ensemble this team and some additions and uh, boy there were some big performances yesterday and it was so much fun to see this team celebrating in the locker room in Shapiro's home state baby yes. his native state they so, bring home the championship yes exactly so he's Chris Wynn on Brian Shapiro Natalie Williams the general manager of the WNBA champion Las Vegas Aces will be joining us next take a quick break be back right after this pushing the limits right here on KSHP